Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, fake news. Will it be our downfall? Our panel decides if Facebook really are to blame and what can be done about it. David Walliams is to launch a new late-night show on ITV, but it means the return of the news at when, as Tom Bradby's show shifts around the schedule. Will that gamble pay off? Plus, we unpick all the latest goings-on at Auntie with the launch of the Netflix of radio, whatever that means, and the National Lottery following BBC Three Online. All that and your media quiz. It's all to come on today's media podcast. And joining me at the Hospital Club today are three, count them, three more wonderful, intrepid players of the media game. They are, to my right, Faraz Osman, Maggie Brown and Louise Ridley. Uh, Louise, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Uh, now, your surname remains the same. Your email address is different. Yes. Uh, because when you were last on the show, our Brexit special, you were at HuffPo. I was. You've now Brexited HuffPo yourself. That's on my own leave. Yeah. <laughs> and you now work for BuzzFeed. I do, yes. How's that going? It's great, thank you. Yeah, I'm the uh, news editor for Long Form and Special Projects, which took a while for me to be able to say smoothly. But it, yeah, it's a great job so far. So Brilliant. that means the posh, the posh stuff, the journalism. The, the heavy, long form, no lol serious, cap. high quality. No, no lolling, quite serious, in fact. <laughs> So very different from what some people may imagine from BuzzFeed, but it's brilliant. Excellent. All right. So everyone judge Louise's analysis throughout this show and rate BuzzFeed accordingly Mm -hmm. for their journalistic prowess. (laughs) Uh, Faraz is back as well. Faraz, Fred Wave, Skin Shape, Law Holt. What do these three obtuse names have in common? I don't know. They sound like new punk bands. Should I know what they are? They are acts on the latest episode of Four to the Floor, the excellent oh, show that your Indie oh, Lemonade Monday produced. And are you're not down bands. with the kids not, as you'd I'm like not, to well, think Well, I had an executive, James execs it, and James's taste in music is terrifyingly good. Sounds like um, an excuse. The guys are, it is an excuse. So I'm like, yeah. I wish I could keep up to the, to the level that, the, that they send out. But um, there's, the series is done now. We've been doing a social series on Facebook, actually, called All Day Breakfast, which has been a heck of a lot of fun. Um, a social series? Yeah, so we were kind of, we spoke to Channel 4 about how we can um, elevate that brand. Um, we feel like because it's obviously music and it's a thing that resonates really well online, you know, what can we do to kind of reach that audience? Because that's where natively they're consuming that sort of content and it's a younger audience and obviously that's natively where they are. So we did what I think is Channel 4's first Facebook native show. Um, it's a lot of fun. Watch it. Wow. It's okay. Funny. And was that on Facebook Live? It wasn't on Facebook Live. It was going to be, but um, I need someone to explain to me what the point of Facebook Live is. Was properly. it on all four? It wasn't on all four. It's on Facebook, so on you Facebook. can watch it on Facebook. Whether you call video on Facebook Facebook Live now, I don't know if there's a. You do not. Right. Okay. So it's Facebook <laughs> Video. Right. It wasn't live because there's lots of obviously 
editorial concerns of which Channel 4 have by putting things live, handcuffed a little bit more than, than other um, outlets are. Uh, Maggie, you are here, but you've also been on a certain other BBC-based media show this week. Yes, I was on the Wednesday media show. Um, don't like to have sloppy seconds normally, but you're a special lady. Tell us what you were discussing with Well, actually, uh, I was there because earlier, no, earlier in the day there'd been a Voice of the Listener and Viewer conference, and uh, I was actually on the panel discussing Channel 4 and the fact that it was still being kept in a form of limbo because uh, all options appear still to be open about its uh, future ownership and kind of structure really or even location because there's even a view it might possibly go to to Birmingham. So I was on the panel because I'm writing the second volume of the history of Channel 4 as you may know which runs from 2007 to uh, well 2016 so it's still in research and writing stage. Okay quick question for Uh you on your history of Channel 4 since you are the Channel 4 uh, historian do you think there was more of a change from launch of Channel 4 to 2007 or more of a change since 2007 to now? Um, I think actually the the biggest change um, happened before 2007 because they added in advertising in uh, 1993. And once you have an advertising sales force within your company, a lot changes, including the rates of pay and the dynamics, the bonuses, all the rest of it, because the commissioning side obviously has to keep up with the advertising side, with the bonuses and everything that goes along with it. So it was much more commercialised from that point on. Even including all four and multi-channel and all of that? Well, it's on the... It was more radical, more radical change. uh, uh, Bake, Bake Off is actually something else. The reason, obviously, Bake Off was bought is that Channel 4 doesn't have Big Brother anymore. It's looking for scale. It would have been extremely worried if Bake Off had gone to ITV. It doesn't really fit the Channel 4 mould of either being uh, you know, experimental, new, fresh or anything else. But what it does fit is the fact that it's a Robin Hood kind of culture that they have to have programmes which will pay for the programmes that don't make money. At least that's the model. So that's how they, they'll justify doing it. I think it's a very bad piece of PR for them, actually, at this moment in time. If Bake Off with the new guys fails, is it, is it still a success? Is it still a win for Channel 4 because they've neutralised the threat of, of Bake Off? Uh, I doubt it will fail. Remember, Channel 4, 95%. Is, is funded by advertising. It doesn't have any in-house production. It's not allowed to own rights anymore. Uh, it, it doesn't have an international sales arm. So it's very, very focused. Nine, think of it, £9.50 out of every £10, basically, has to come from advertising. So from that point of view, it's real opponent, if you like, in, in, in the marketplace is ITV. So it has to fight very hard to actually... There's a very hard commercial core at, at, at the centre of Channel 4 and, and so the, the, the advertising is its lifeblood. I don't think it will fail, but what I do think is that there wasn't anything wrong with the bake-off that the BBC was delivering. Now the production company fell out of love with the BBC because of the way they were being paid and treated but it is unwise I would have thought to perhaps a annoy almost 16 million people who liked it just the way it was and secondly at this point in time it looks as if Channel 4 has spare amounts of cash that it can just call up 
to acquire a programme which is purely a commercial decision when it finds it quite hard, apparently, to find, say, £2 million extra a year for more uh, older children's programming and content. So that, that that's kind of a bit of a problem. But the big one is survival for Channel 4. There you are. Maggie Brown there with some blue-chip Radio 4-endorsed media analysis <laughs> of some real news. But we're going to move on to talk about the big story of the past fortnight, fake news now. Because after President-elect Donald Trump still feels weird to say it and his victory many commentators have sought to blame publishers like facebook for not screening their content more accurately is that their fault or should readers be more sensitive to where their news comes from uh louise buzzfeed have been doing some research in this area yeah. uh, campaigning you might almost say well I, we've been very much kind of at the forefront of of looking into this you know fake news was something i hadn't heard of be a month ago, two months ago or something, and it's really, really come to the forefront because of the American election. And actually, um, for people who haven't been following it mm, diligently, just explain, actually, yeah. what we mean so by fake news. Fake news is exactly as it sounds, but you have to really get your head around it because it's not news that's accidentally incorrect, which we must admit journalists do sometimes. It's not satirical news that's misunderstood. It is fake news that has been written often for a purpose to distort people's political views or to get people very excited, and they're completely false, huge claims. So BuzzFeed Canada did a great analysis sort of really comparing how many shares on Facebook, the top 20 fake news stories during the last three months of the election were how many shares they got as compared to the top 20 real news stories and the fake ones got more. They got 8 million shares in three months, whereas the real ones only got 7 million. So the top fake stories, I think, were something like the Pope endorsing Donald Trump. You know, that's, that's a huge libelous made-up claim. And then... Um, Hillary Clinton funding ISIS or something ridiculous. You know, these are not sort of joke stories or under the radar. These are huge to do with global affairs and millions of people shared them and you have to assume believed them because not that many people would share it if you had noticed that it was completely rubbish. The thing that's really scary in my view is there are whole sites dedicated to doing this. And what's in it for them? Advertising? Well, sometimes advertising but also with political intent, I would say. I can't claim to know all about all of these fake sites at all but and some of them are set up in Russia and China. And places yeah, like that, some yeah. of them are indeed. They're really varied. The thing that's sort of really concerning is that, in, obviously, Trump is now president-elect, as discussed. Um, the vast majority of these top-shared fake stories were pro-Donald Trump or anti-Hillary Clinton. So the concern that's come up, which is why this is now on the agenda, is did that shape the election? The amazing thing is that Mark Zuckerberg initially at least said, that's a crazy idea, of course not. If you think about it for more than 10 minutes, and I think he's now acknowledged this because Facebook is looking into this officially, of course it would have shaped the election because think how many people use Facebook and how your entire narrative is framed by it. I think this is much bigger than Facebook, though. I think it's about Facebook needing to keep an eye on this. It's about who on earth are these sites doing this fake news. That's, I mean, that's the real, real problem. And you have to assume that it, the, the amount of fake news being created has gone up. Um, it's to do with Facebook changing its algorithms, but it's also this is being done a lot more because people have realised they can do this. And equally, it's about the public, thankfully, now becoming more conscious of this. And the important thing for us as journalists in terms of investigating, in terms of transparency, is making people aware how important it is that what you read is correct. You know? Maggie, a new concept readers have always had to sense. distinguish what they think is correct and there have always been newspapers and magazines that deliberately make up stories and fabricate lies I mean there's been the Weekly World News and the Sunday Sport and whatever mm. people you know people believed that then but never so never made up claims about senior politicians endorsing things you, you know you can't actually get away with that in, in a newspaper because the politician would sue you I mean it's ridiculous so is, but is because that, the internet is not governed in this way so Maggie should there be a legal framework to deal with this do you well, think well I, I mean interestingly I was at uh, lunch yesterday with the uh, chief executive of um, ITN 
And this was very much part of the kind of discussion. And one of the things that we all kind of agreed in a way was that, say, even five or six years ago, people really thought that news programmes, edited news programmes, were on the way out. And I know that there was a big debate, for example, at Channel 4, you know, what should be the kind of agenda of Channel 4 News, which has always been an hour and, and long form. It survived as it, as it uh, you know, more or less in, in, as it had been before. And of course now everybody is feeling kind of maybe the moment has come because if you have a very clear brand, if you're trusted, if you have to obey impartiality rules, which the public service broadcasters have to, news programmes, and, and Sky News does as well, this actually may in the end not just be of uh, if you like social uh, social good, it may also actually be a commercial good or a, a reputational good because it makes the role of respected organisations not just important; it actually makes them much more valuable. So there is a, a view that people will start to turn to the more trusted sources. So I guess what I'm saying is, yes, intelligent people will. What about the people who just see a website that's clearly cobbled together, has got a mad story on it, but believe it? Are those people for us just stupid? Well, or are they Facebook's responsibility to say, no, they shouldn't be looking at that? There's, there's a few things to, to, to unpack there. The first is that it's not about people seeing sites. It's about people seeing Facebook. They go on Facebook and they see those headlines, and those headlines sit next to BBC headlines, Guardian headlines, BuzzFeed headlines. And, and they just assume that if the BBC and the BuzzFeed are, are providing me news in their space, then why isn't the Denver Guardian an, a, 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 an official news source? Because, you know, I, it, it's, I think that when you're saying it's not about people being stupid it's about media literacy mm. and actually I think it's unfair to suggest that like you know the Guardian is a UK paper it's only just started making huge ground in the US and I would argue that five ten years ago it was probably unknown in the US and and now the same is kind of happening the other way around we know that the Boston Globe as media literate people the Boston Globe is a great paper it's, it does really interesting stuff has really good articles in it but I shouldn't expect my friends or people that don't work in the media industry to know the difference between the Denver Guardian and the Boston Globe. And that's where the manipulation is coming in. It's, it is, this is the media story. And it is one of those things that is it going to break out of this bubble of these podcasts and this, this review and, and, and the media analysis that's going along and, and make um, traction like Leveson did? You know, this is in the shadow of Leveson. We had a multi-million pound inquiry into effectively the same sort of thing in mainstream newspapers. And you were asking earlier, is it, do we need a law to, to legislate against this? It's just impossible. This is an international thing that is shared by individuals. And a friend of mine was asking about, well, why is this any different to when the Daily Express or the Daily Mail or the Sunday Sport, as you say, print something on their front page. The difference is, is there are laws that do protect that. You, you can argue whether they need to be stronger or weaker or, you know, you need to have this press regulation authority or another one. But if you, ha- if you take all of those laws away and that regulation away, then of course the thing that is going to get shared the most is the opinion that's going to back up the conspiracy theory that you've already got in your head. It's far more seductive, it's far more interesting, and it's a lot easier for anybody to just write something and put it up on Facebook and go, well, this is news. But for us, do you remember, right, I mean, maybe 10 years ago when people were really excited about the internet, and I remember this debate very well because obviously I'm a mother and these things concern me, but there were people who were arguing really against almost no controls on the internet and gradually we've seen a growing concern about grooming of underage, you know, all of those things that have happened and people 
asking for protections and for buttons and for you know and whether they're policed or not but there's definitely been a shift away from just let it happen even if you can't really do that much about it so i don't know where this is going to end but i think it's 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 a rather frightening development but i'm sure that there's going to have to be as you rightly say a huge amount of media literacy uh, warning people in some way that this kind of thing is going to pollute both your democracy actually at the in the end of the day and, and undermine if you like, uh, our concepts of, of almost, you know, what, what is right and what's wrong. I don't think there's anything the government can do. There's not a huge amount that Facebook can do. The genie's well, no, kind of out the Facebook bottle. Facebook can blacklist sites. And Louise, where do you stand on that? Well, that's the difficulty. I know something we might discuss that's also been in the news is around uh, Facebook possibly developing software for wanting to get into China, which would allow uh, Chinese government or any third party people who work with it to sort of make stories less visible on Facebook. And that's sort of the opposite extreme of the fact that we've got this fake news because there's no control but obviously a lot of us in Britain would say well that doesn't sound very good that the government can decide to hide certain stories and it's where that balance is it's a very very difficult area because of how huge and powerful Facebook is already we didn't make these rules to start with now we're in this position of yes some control might be good we might say perhaps hide fake stories but who is it is it someone within Facebook who's deciding I don't like that or I've checked all those facts Mm. and we, we won't know because Facebook is a massive company but it's not a state company so it's, it's who is the judge of that, and that is horribly complicated, and that's going to be the next big thing, who decides what shouldn't be shown to people. And these fake sites, they look, they're made to look as, as if they are entirely respectable. I mean, this is the interesting thing about it. I mean, people who are not, you would think, necessarily uh, completely, say, uh, literate in English, for example, don't seem to put spelling mistakes in that you can so spot things. Since the story's become really big, uh, Busby's kind of taken it on globally. So beyond the, the kind of uh, Trump stuff, we had a brilliant feature about Myanmar. So um, in 2014, only 1% of people in Myanmar had the internet. So suddenly they've got the internet, they've got Donald Trump, and they've got fake news. Within two years, suddenly everyone's got the internet. It's an explosion. Mm. And they are going through all of this because there's a massive fake news onslaught. And um, it's dealing with exactly the same stuff because the same people are trying to target them with all these stories. And there was some brilliant quote that I've, I've got noted down, which is that someone who just got on the internet, just bought her first ever phone, which has the internet, said, that's what the internet is. It takes people who say crazy things and it makes them famous. So they'd never heard of Donald Trump. And along came Donald Trump in the last six months. They heard of him and they just say there's crazy things everywhere. And, and reading that and seeing how it must be to come onto the internet now with all this is really, really enlightening. Imagine never having heard of Donald Trump. What bliss. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to talk about a story from ITN now. They are to close their archive, ITN Source, in a new deal that means almost one million clips from over 60 years are now only going to be available through Getty Images. Smart deal for ITN, Maggie, do you think? Well, I think it's running an archive. I think it's very expensive. You have to have people to hunt down what you want. You can't just automate everything. And in fact, yes, I was discussing this again yesterday at ITN. And I, the, the the thing is really that they've handed over the marketing and sales. It doesn't mean that they don't archive things anymore because obviously they have a growing and uh, added to every moment of the day almost archive but what they're doing is saying that this body has more expertise that they can act almost as our agent and a lot of people have agency arrangements and outsource things so I don't think it's actually too much of a worry. What ITN is trying to do is in a sense a bit like other broadcasters it's trying to actually build up 
its content ownership business it's trying to add in program making which is playing to its strengths so it might be current affairs it might even eventually be scripted drama so that's where they see the margins and they don't uh, actually have to be people selling it but the problem is there's only one game in town now really getty that's the problem isn't it well for for those sorts of images i don't know is the answer i don't know what the bbc does with its um archive but on the other hand remember getty is uh being run by dawn airy uh late of uh, Channel 5 and I imagine that ITN must have had a you know a good reason to think that they would be treated in, in, a, in a fair and reasonable way. Okay let's bring out the saxophones fire up the carpool karaoke because we're going to talk about late night telly now ITV are bringing over the format of the stripped late night five day a week chat show to our shores it's never worked before uh, for us is it going to work this time? <laughs> Will it work now? Um because they don't work, do they? These US-style shows. And the, the closest we got in our lifetimes was V. Graham Norton, which was jolly entertaining mm. and still ran out of steam after three years. Mm. The idea behind this is that they'll have a different celebrity host running it for a week each. So David Williams is week one. <laughs> do we you have think? enough celebrities? It, I think that we look over the pond and see those shows and almost... There's a little bit of kind of confusion or envy about whether or not you know why is it that those shows have so much social traction? I think that's the key thing to this is oh, is that yeah. they do so well online now when you know you're able to kind of clip out, be it I'm going to get all my Jimmys mixed up now, but be it Jimmy Kimmel's <laughs> Halloween specials or Jimmy Fallon's you know viral pieces with Questlove and the guys from the Roots, and and I think that they clearly capable of of having a, a noise beyond the scheduled programming which I think is a key essential part of, of any commission nowadays and if they're able to kind of crack that so it's not just about what David Williams is going to do at 10pm but it's also what's going to happen post that and are people going to talk about it in the same way that when John Oliver has a rant everyone shares it on Facebook afterwards and mm. then they come back to that content from there that's what this show needs to do it is the right time for that if we're always going to kind of look back and kind of go, well, this is just us trying to do the same thing that Letterman and and Leno did, what, 20 years ago, then, yeah, I'm not sure that is going to work, but I don't think that's what this show is. Well, actually, Jay Leno is a bit of a spectre here, isn't he? Because NBC ran his show when he left The Tonight Show first time round at 10pm, and it was a massive flop. Mm. Why are they putting it at 10pm, Maggie? Kevin Ligo's moving the news at 10 for this. Surely a late-night chat show should be late-night like it is in the States, 11.30. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, it depends. 10 o'clock is, is quite late for quite a lot of people who... You know, if it finishes at ten thirty, they then have to go to bed and get up in the morning and go to work. For us, it just said it's all about them watching it on YouTube anyway. Who cares? It's going to get low ratings. Well, no, ITV wants people watching mainstream television and watching its its uh, commercials. But there's so, nowhere in the world that they watch a high gloss chat show at ten. I mean, this is the experiment, isn't it? It's going to fail. Well, <laughs> well, actually, oddly, I I would be interested to see whether David Williams, for example, has got the the personal warmth somehow to carry this kind of show. I mean, he's he's. Uh, he's great at what he does, which is sort of scripted. Uh, we'll just see whether, uh, you know, he, he tries to be a great many things, including a children's author. We'll, I, I would have thought he doesn't actually have that kind of rapport with people, but I may be totally wrong. The really interesting thing is actually that, of course, the news is going to be moved to 10.30, mm. and it isn't going to be clearly a show that's going to run around the year. And they do sometimes move the news if, for example, there's a a big football match or something like that. But to move it for that length of time does raise a few alarm bells. And, of course, if it were to work, 
and you clearly have decided it's not going to work, <laughs> but if it were to work, then it would definitely be um, a challenge to uh, the news moving moving from 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And we're back in that old experiment which happened uh, 16 years ago and uh, was then reversed and uh, 10 years ago or 8 years ago, whenever it was. And, you know, you've got, you're, you're back into that kind of thing. I, 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 I don't know. I, it's all about... IT, basically, ITV needs to raise its... It's, it's audience share. It's got to do that. That's why it's got another edition of Coronation Street coming in six editions a week. It's got to get, it's got to start building. I mean, I'd, I'd like it to work. It's just this kind of show is aimed at people like me, roughly in my demographic, you know, with my interests. And I definitely wouldn't want to watch a show five nights a week on ITV. It feels a bit cheap for as, them. As was 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock Live. And that, yeah. that, didn't, that didn't quite work either. And that was once but, a week. But and Yeah, exactly. But I, I do think that this is, I don't think this is a case of, is an entertainment show going to work? That, that's almost like, for me, the secondary question. The primary question, and this is something that's always gone on throughout the history of, I think, you know, modern television, is can you provide an alternative to the 10 o'clock news? Um, and I think ITV tried that in the past and failed. And Well, ITV had the 10 o'clock news originally, but ever since the BBC have done the news at 10, or whatever they call it, the 10 o'clock news, the only thing that can compete with the 10 o'clock news and the BBC is the news at 10 on ITV. And that feels like it's not polarity. It doesn't feel like it's choice. It doesn't feel like what ITV should be doing. So I kind of applaud them for going, you know what, let's give an alternative because the reality is is that I I mean I don't know I haven't done the stats but I would argue five times out of ten the headlines are exactly the same on the BBC that they are on ITV so let's provide something different from there and if they get it right then it means that people will watch more news as a result that's not strictly true because as far as the, the, the ITV news programme has changed into a more discursive programme with Tom Bradbury, you know, with, with him having a more informal kind of two, one-to-one, say, with a correspondent. So it isn't exactly the same anymore. That's why they... And they, they say, actually, that... I, and it is, I think, the case that the ratings have gone up by about 6% so far this year over, over the 10 months of the new format. But having said all of that, all news programmes are up a bit because I look at the news, <laughs> you know. So I, I, don't, I don't know... I, what I what I think is 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 obvious though is that ten o'clock is a good slot for say <clears throat> Channel Four running Catastrophe or Fresh Meat or those sorts of programs. It's wide open to uh, or Fargo, mm. one of these sort of more um, edgy sort of uh, pieces. That's been very good for Channel Four. Uh, ITV can't really go there because it's still a big mass audience. So they have to find another way. It's an experiment, really. And of course, Kevin Ligo, he'd have been there a year. This is one of his moves as, mm. as the new director of television. He took over from the more conventional, maybe Peter Fincham. So we'll see. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Right, it's been almost 60 whole minutes of media podcast time since we covered the BBC, so let's get stuck into all the news that's come out of the corporation this week. First up, Charlotte Moore, the BBC's first director of content, has begun the latest shake-ups to BBC TV commissioning. Uh, Maggie, what's changing? Well, I mean, she seems to be sort of flattening the structure, um, saying that there's going to be people sort of cooperating, really, it seems to me, across genres, which um, is quite interesting. One of the other moves which... Again, I think probably it's quite sensible. Two and a half years ago, the BBC started this big arts push with music, core to it with Radio 2 and and so-called television, you know, doing things together. And that's being brought together and then uh, television and radio put under the great empire that's grown, James Parnell, who's the Mm -hmm. kind of maybe director-general in waiting, uh, but uh, what interested me about that? They've they've given that brief, which I don't think has been running that smoothly, to one of the most brilliant commissioners in television, Jan Younghusband, who used to be at Channel Four and did all the wonderful uh, kind of uh, wacky operas and uh, big art projects, and was one of the really interesting commissioners and greatly revered throughout the the arts and music sector ballet you name it she 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 goes across everything and she's been given that brief and so when i saw it as always you know moving the deck chairs around and there's all the cuts going on but when i saw that i thought ah oh, this is really interesting the bbc is giving a real push to to music and arts which i think is good and on that james Fennell point uh for as he's now the bbc's head of religious affairs programming as well as Everything else, presumably, he coordinates the cleaning staff too. Uh, they said this is boosting the significance of religious affairs by giving it to such a top dog. It's not, is it? It's just adding it to his smorgasbord and minimising it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's look, it's it's really important that the BBC do religion and ethics properly. It's part of a reason that they're a public service broadcaster, and and they need to make sure that they they get it right because if they don't get it right, no one else is. And uh, you know, we were just chatting about how Akhil Ahmed was was taking on that role, and and actually his biggest commission was Songs of Praise, which is a, a music show. So you know, they're maybe some some connection there along the way but I, I, th- I think that what's what's interesting about this is um, and Matt may hold me who's producing this Matt, Matt may hold me to the fire later on in the year but one of the predictions I made for last year is that the BBC is going to move away from channels and move towards actually being brands like arts music sport children's etc and this seems to be a movement towards that strategy it kind of makes sense but there's always for me the bigger question mark is not the case that he's going to be looking after religion ethics and music and arts but he's also going to be looking after radio and television and different types of content under that banner I still think that's an open debate about do you commission around the content that you make from a genre perspective or from a actual um, a content perspective, be it radio, TV or online? Uh, meanwhile, the uh, current Director General, Tony Hall, has been talking at the Voice of the Listener and Viewer Conference. Uh, for as he announced the Netflix of radio 
Uh, that must have surprised Netflix. Um, can you explain what he means? Well, my understanding of it is that he was, wants to open up the, the the huge library. We were talking about archive earlier. I mean, the the radio archive that the BBC must have is must be fascinating, and and it seems to be a, a smart little move to open up that whole library. I'm interested to know how successful BBC Store has been, and it feels like the BBC keeps making baby steps into the into that space of getting their content online and and making it successful as what the iPlayer has been, which is successful because of the content that's happened the week before i think it is really important that the bbc makes success of its heritage content along the way and this seems like a really smart move and and on top of that i don't think that there is an audio version of this that exists so so actually having the ability to have that back catalog and library i think is something that that audiences and and consumers are going to love but actually iplayer radio does have quite a lot of back catalog available it seems like they've already made this content available the only thing they're changing by calling it the netflix of radio is introducing the idea they might start charging people for it possibly but also, I mean, I, I, like I said, I don't know how far this goes, but it's it's things that all the way from nostalgia pieces of like, well, we just had this election which has been horrific and terrifying, and everything that you possibly hate about politics all in one go. But it kind of opens up the the appetite of, well, what were the Bill Clinton debates that, that happened at the time, and I want to I want to hear those again. I want to hear what the pre, you know the, the presidential debates Such were. Such a nerd. But, you but it is, how but many it people creates, are going to listen to Bill Clinton's presidential my, debates? My point is, but my point is, is that it's it, it's it's taking on the opportunity to to look at analysis as it was back then, which yeah. we we love doing as consumers. And even even Full media podcast catalogue available now. Download our episodes <laughs> from two years ago. But, but, it's going to be internationally, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I mean, which so, is a I mean, huge that's thing. a huge boost, I think. And I th- I must say, you know, if we're talking about the fake news side i mean remember too this has been uh, only only now now recently that the the kind of expansion of the world service into mm. into truth news truth news and, and and indeed an enhancement to the english language service so uh, i mean the bbc has been sent on a a kind of weird mission it was having to cut back and pay for everything five years ago now uh, everybody realizes the value of of, of of proper information so it's all kind of been reversed and given a lot more money i mean it sometimes makes you weep and think that uh, the government just sort of really just mucks around with the bbc unnecessarily just think of all those very competent people who were shown the door now presumably they're going to have to rehire lots of other language experts and under I, a much more complex finance structure where they might be being funded by the government and they might be well, being funded I mean, by the license fee uh, yeah I, uh, exactly the whole thing is, is a bit of a mess to be honest with you but on the other hand it's a better mess than not having those services so I'm in favour of them mm. does, does it make sense to you Louise why the government would want to reinvest in the world service start up 11 new services well I mean it sounds sounds ambitious I think you, as you say it's, it's the way they do it that's important but something I picked out from that I think it's almost 300 million extra funding that the government's putting in that they noted in what they're doing is the idea of focusing on slow news which I thought was a great concept mm. that I hadn't really heard articulated like that which is the idea of explaining the why and kind of essentially analysis and deep stuff and that is if they do that you know live up to that promise that is what we need in a time of fake news that's really important it's about slowing down yeah, yeah and you know the kind of thing I do with BuzzFeed is long form it's the let's go deep into this and then you're not definitely not doing any fake news you're actually giving people that more thoughtful read and people are craving that a bit now I think and the world service average age of listener is much younger than that of Radio 4 or 5 Live as I understand it which is quite interesting I think so I don't know Jesus, but I think so especially because of the many languages so there's, there's people the same with the tele- the oddly that some of the television service which it was aiming it's, it's sort of maybe you know young professionals and things like that who want to actually you know learn about what's going on so I, I mean all I know is that uh, it seems 
seems to me like a quick reversal of things. And I, I bet you BBC monitoring, which they've been cutting back, and that's more of obviously official government services using it, the Cabinet Office, you name it. Uh, I bet you if in, 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 in a few months' time we'll suddenly find they realise, oh, my God, we've cut back on monitoring and we're not finding out enough about wherever it is. And they'll, they'll start reinvesting again, having bossed the BBC out of its lovely country house in, uh, in Caversham. So that's how it goes. Well, talking about cash flow, the BBC is not going to be releasing those big money balls on a Saturday night anymore on BBC One. The National Lottery is going online only. Yes, it's crashing news. For us, the big question everyone is asking is what is going to happen to Nick Knowles and Gabby Roslin? I didn't, I didn't know this is news to me. I, I mm. thought that the BBC had won that contract. They, they have. They've won the contract to put it online only. Well, that's, uh, that's a turn up for the books. It's uh, the I future mean, for us. It's the future. It's the future of watching balls drop in a yeah on online. Um, is it right <laughs> that no one wants to stay on a Saturday night and watch balls drop anymore, Maggie? What? Well, I I, so I never take part in the lottery because I hate sort of gambling. It's and not so much I, of a TV spectacle, is it? I, d- I don't watch the programs, and so I'm I'm. But you can see why it has to be the the BBC will always get those contracts because the lottery can do deals with ITV or it can uh, advertise it. So the only place it really can't get on in any other way oh. is, is on the BBC. It cuts the cost of making those shows as well, remember. If it's just online, it's going to be sort of, you know... They have to all be complied very carefully. You've got to get that right. But apart from that, you know, for example, if you're out at night, you can find out, can't you, um, what the numbers are? People who... I, I can't lie, I've watched the lottery very much no. on TV, but it always seems rather like a space filler when if you, you yeah. have a lottery ticket you just want to know the numbers you could get that yeah. on the phone why would you why, why do you need to watch them pulling out why the would numbers? you not want to see Jamelia just, sing her way through her new single <laughs> it just seems a bit old, old school I it think, is really. old school but, but mm. do remember that when this first happened yeah. when we first had the lottery come on our screens everyone watched it whether they bought a ticket or not yeah because it's they, exciting they, it was ex- for some reason seeing these numbers appear was exciting because that idea that you were watching literally watching someone being made a multi-millionaire even if you were there or not was actually quite a decent format at the time and you know you remember that there was the statistics of this ball's only been seen right once yeah. in, every, in the last few months all of that was actually watchable and was felt like it had real real value to it cracking now, theme tune as well exactly yeah. it, it maybe is simpler times but, it, but but now it's it is you're absolutely right you know if you not want to know what the lottery numbers are you just want to know what the numbers are based on a ticket that you bought so people check it online anyway and they've continued to make entertainment formats around the lottery um, or and pretty cheesy or exactly or none not popular and actually game shows have been the saving grace of American telly in the last year haven't they for all the big networks there do you think we'll see fewer game shows now the lottery components being taken away or on a Saturday night will still people want to be watching Nick Knowles well I mean people are, uh, the, the main television channels are absolutely desperate to find fresh entertainment formats that is sort of Saturday night in particular is really at the front of everything that's what they want to do and then they want to find factual formats that they can go on churning out for a day you know so there's all of that Mm. I don't know because also the kind of participation you can use them all sorts of ways Uh, big entertainment formats are what everybody's after but but the lottery is the ultimate interactive format right everyone buys a ticket for a pound and everyone is a contestant two pounds these days it's been a while since you played not everyone but but you can anybody can be a contestant in that show but because it's on the BBC, there's there's this weird kind of separation of that's the lottery, now that pick's been done, now let's do a game show. And if there was actually an opportunity to embed those two things together where you're watching someone randomly pick a number as part of the game show that they're watching and then it has an impact of you as being a ticket holder back home, that's a format that I think would actually work and, and would be properly interactive and exciting. But it can't happen on Last the BBC. Chance lottery yeah. with Patrick Kilty, have you forgotten? Yeah. Singing, dancing, toe-tapping Saturday Night Entertainment. <laughs> Um, 
Patrick Kilshee. It are. Uh, talking of quizzes. Yay. Yay. <laughs> it's time for our media quiz. This week it's entitled All Change Please. Whilst the voice of Ollie Mann has been utilised across many high-end adverts and nature documentaries, <laughs> do just contact my agent, it has yet to be the voice of any major rail network. I did do a corporate video this year, actually. It was for a company that sold you seats on the channel. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> this, this is... Yeah, I, I don't know. Doesn't matter. It's money. <laughs> uh, in a moment, I will perform three national rail announcements, but here's the twist. Hidden within my apology for a late-running service will be a very subtle reference to a media story from the past week. Very subtle. Your task is to decipher the message and tell me the media story buried within. Buzz in with your name, the winner gets the grand tour, the loser is still open all hours. Here we go. Attention, passengers waiting for a Western service on platform 16, this train will now be stopping at Wogan. Faraz. Faraz. It's the renaming of BBC's Western House to BBC's Wogan House. Correct. Point which is to really Faraz. complicated when you're trying to go to a meeting there. <laughs> as it? I did the other day, and I'm like, where is this building? It doesn't exist yet. <laughs> but um, a fitting tribute to the great man, Maggie, surely. Well, why not? Is it, this is the one that's quite close to New Broadcasting House yes. around the corner where Radio 2 the radio, is. Yes. Home of Radio 2. Yes, I, home of Radio 2. I think 2, it's lovely, yes. actually. I don't yeah. mind that. It's quite nice. Yes. Yeah, yes. I agree. Here's announcement number two. Passengers in first class, please note that this service will combine with another before making its way into our final cosmopolitan destination. Louise. Louise. Is this Glamour magazine dropping its small format? It is. After 15 years? Correct. They've had a lovely handbag size format, which I think I remember coming along and being quite excited when I was a lot younger because it, it was the very, this very tiny magazine and it was very exciting. You could put it in your handbag if it, it was such a size. Yes, it wasn't that small. Column, it wasn't that small but and it, I think it was a bit of a con actually. <laughs> but it was smaller yeah. than the other magazines, yeah, which in true. some way was exciting. But for it a is while. a nifty trick, so why have they stopped? Yeah, well, they've stopped it. Now, I don't know if it's anything to do with handbags changing, but they say it's because they want it. <laughs> well, you know, perhaps handbags have bigger or smaller they've um they say it's because they want to make it more high-end they want to make it they're sort of upping the picture the paper quality they want to make it appear more luxurious glossy which is a pretty understandable move in in the magazine market because it's trying to be more like competitors like l which are a bit more sort of weighty and glossy and bigger so it's moving in that direction as opposed to cosmopolitan which you referenced in your wonderful train announcement which I think has sort of stayed where it is. It hasn't changed its price. It's actually slashed price. its price quite a lot. You know, remember, magazines are really advertising media. Mm. And the better you make the, adver- the better adverts, the better you make. You know, I, I mean, so. I heard a figure for a, a page in Vogue that just blew my, my mind away. It's almost equivalent to kind of like the three-minute ad that um, John Lewis, say, can, can, can buy. Oh, it's like an annual salary, actually, isn't it? It's a huge, Vogue, huge yeah. amount of money. Mm. So I think that that's part. And also, you know, something people do like a sort of feeling of a treat when they pick up a magazine. Yeah. Hence, you know, you've, you've talked about going back to long form. Well, that's actually what Cosmo are doing. They're running bigger articles, mm. you know. And for a bonus point, mm. can any of you name what Cosmo called Glamour's handbag edition? Something rude because they didn't like it, but I don't Petite. know what. You're close. Mm. Pygmy. Pygmy. <laughs> pygmy. Right. Here's announcement number three. Would all customers please note that from Monday there will be a rise in ticket prices, which will, against all market theory, still lead to a rise in sales. Buzzing uh, with your name if you know the answer. uh, Maggie Maggie Brown. Brown. Well, it's it's the eye, isn't it? It is. Yes. Very interesting. The eye newspaper of increased sales despite a 10 pence price hike. So Cosmopolitan slash the prices and do well. The eye costs more and does well. Sunday Times has gone up uh, circulation has gone up so has the Observer a bit 2% I think it's partly the fact people want to read about 
the world around them news so we, we, a slight revival i don't i don't know whether it will work or not but um interesting it, it's still cheap though remember it's much it cheaper is still than, cheap yeah. than compared to other broadsheets as well depends what you're comparing well, it to exactly. doesn't it exactly or two pounds for guardian you know? yeah mm. i think the eye hits quite a good a really mm. good market it's kind so of hit I. that it's sort of easy to read it's got really good layout mm. that's very very clear very simple kind of almost like for an app generation that mm. kind of thing yeah. but it is still cheap so it, it hits yeah, a good good, good spot definitely. i mean i think it, i i remember a time when the guardian was actually uh, experimenting th- uh, at stations with a tabloid version of itself, just handing them out, and they were meant to be tasters. And I remember thinking, why don't they do this with the main paper? You know, do a cut-down version and do a G, really. Mm. And uh, it never happened. So yeah, I, well, it's nice to know since some good news. As a former founder of the Indie Independent, rather, it's good to know there's a bit of good news somewhere. It's nice to hear a bit of behind-the-curtain stuff at The Guardian just in the last minute of the show as well, isn't it? But it does mean, Maggie, despite you coming in with the right answer there, that we have a draw. <laughs> so no clear winner. That's fine Apart me. from the Johnson Press this week. <laughs> that is it for our show today. My thanks to Maggie Brown, Louise Ridley and Faraz Osman. Thanks, too, to these wonderful people who continue to support the show through their brand-new voluntary subscriptions. They are Rex Orr, Chris Ashton and Saul Fernley. Join them, keep us on the air, go to themediapodcast.com slash donate. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and the Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.